Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. The RTE payments controversy rumbles on. Director General D. Forbes quits. Some of the station's biggest stars reveal their salaries on air. And so in order to be fully transparent with you here today, I want you to know that my RTE fee now is €280,000. And that fee was agreed for presenting this programme. And Russia's chaotic weekend. What is next for Vladimir Putin? After the weekend's dramatic coup we heard from the Russian leader in the last few hours, we will tell you what he had to say. Do join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight VMTV. Controversy over RTE's payments to Ryan Tuberty has taken another couple of twists today. It began early. Director General D. Forbes dropping a statement at breakfast time, resigning with immediate effect. She explained in a statement that as DG, she was the person ultimately responsible for what happens within the organisation. But she also said that in the job, she led the discussions with Ryan Tuberty's agent, along with, and I quote, other RTE senior executives. That was the turn of some of the biggest stars at the organisation to speak. Claire Byrne, Joe Duffy and Miriam O'Callaghan all came out to clarify their own pay. Well, earlier the Taoiseach was asked about whether D Forbes should appear before the Oireachtas. Yes, so, so I, I heard this morning that um, D Forbes has resigned as uh, DG of um, RTE. Um, I still think, though, that she should come before the Oireachtas Committee. Uh, she's issued a very strong statement. Um, I think people would like to hear her side of the story and her version of events uh, and it's still open to her to attend uh, the committee hearings um, and I believe she should. Well, let's get into all of this. I'm joined by Senator Malcolm Byrne of Fianna Foyle, a member of the Oireachtas Media Committee, Sinn Féin TD, Matt Carthy, a former member of the Public Accounts Committee, journalist and broadcaster, Alison O'Connor, Fionnán Sheehan, Ireland editor at independent.ie and former RTE correspondent, Kieran Malouli. You're all very welcome to the programme. Uh, Fionnán, I want to start with you because it was your story. You broke this last Thursday. We've had a lot of statements, uh, particularly a, a quite an extensive statement from D Forbes today. But there's still a lot of outstanding questions, isn't there? What are the, what are the main unanswered issues for well, you? Beneath the, the headline of her resign, D Forbes does actually put a lot of detail out there that we were unclear of uh, up until now in terms of the background, I suppose, of how exactly this, did this contractual arrangement with Ryan Tuberty uh, come about? 
uh, and why it was fulfilled. So she she did explain the logic, however flawed you can argue that that was. We do we do get some some interesting uh, insight uh, there. And also she did ha put her hand up and say she led the negotiations with Ryan Tuberty on his new contract, so the buck stops with her. But there were other people uh, in, involved. Uh, as well. So basically what you'll be looking for from the Oireachtas committees to establish uh, this this week is how exactly do these contract negotiations work where you end up getting into a scenario where a an obligation was signed up upon that was never budgeted for and should never have fallen to RTE to pay and yet the organisation felt uh, ob obliged to pay and how, how it was not accounted for to be quite to, to be quite frank, uh, because this would appear to have been uh, a fairly irregular off-the-books payment done uh, through, through forms of, of back channels. And then the, the third aspect is, I suppose, why was this not disclosed to the taxpayer, the licence fee payer, so, the national parliament and the government? So who else was aware? Who are the senior executives yeah. that she refers to in her statement? And who decided... On the policy to keep this hush hush. Yeah, and and how how it was formulated, and then obviously the the, the knock on effect then is right. Well, are there other payments that are that are carried out uh, in a, in a similar fashion to to other people? Now, the initial RTE review has suggested that of the current top ten, that there are there are not uh, issues uh, arising there. But I suppose people want to know was this a, a practice uh, in the past, uh, and certainly. There still hasn't been a whole lot of detail on, on previous payments that were made to Ryan Tubbery that were, were undeclared going back uh, from 2017 to, to 2019. So you'd expect that the, the RTE board, when they come in, will be able to discuss that. There's wider issues uh, as well here. I mean, in, in the meantime, while this was disclosed uh, to RTE, highly coincidentally, the date after Ryan Tubbery announced his, his departure uh, from the Late Late Show. What a, what a remarkable coincidence that is. Um, entirely unconnected, Ryan Tubbery tells us. Um, we also find that basically Catherine Martin seemed to be told there was something or other going on there, but she'd be told at a later date. The chair of RT, Shuni Rahali, appears before Malcolm's committee, says nothing about something coming down the track, yet, yet talks about the finances. The same chair of RT and the incoming director general meet with the Taoiseach and other ministers to discuss RTE's finances and restructuring the licence fee. And not, nothing not is mentioned. You're actually sitting in a room with the Taoiseach saying, we need you to restructure the licence fee, we need you to get the revenue commissioners to collect it, you need, Fiona, you need to increase we it. Even, do we even know, was Kevin Backhurst told? We, the, was, the, did Kevin Backhurst know oh, see, that this was an oh, issue that came Kevin up Backhurst Mark? doesn't exist, it would appear. Because he's Kevin, not formally taking okay. up the role until right. July. But yet he's able to go meet the Taoiseach yet he's able to hold meetings around uh, the RTE campus, but yet he doesn't exist in any official format whatsoever. Okay. But we don't know at this point, as the, the suggestion what he was aware I, I've been digging into that, and the suggestion to me is that he certainly wasn't officially told, and that unofficially as well, he didn't he didn't know about it. Okay, certainly so the, the view from the Taoiseach coming today is that he wasn't told. So two questions there. A, how do you sit in a meeting with the chair of the state board and they don't mention anything about this major issue coming down the track? And secondly... Why do you have a cabinet minister who does know about it and she doesn't, doesn't tell you about it? Um, looking, I suppose, then to tomorrow, we expect RTE to issue a statement and then all eyes are going to be on these Oireachtas committees, the Media Committee and the Public Accounts Committee. Who is going to appear 
And what are they going to be able to say? Well, you, you would expect at, at this point the, the invitations uh, will, will be going out, whether that's a, a general invitation to RTE and, and a suggestion of, of who should come forward. You'd expect the chair... Uh, Shuni Rally to, to appear. You certainly expect the acting uh, director general to appear. I, I don't see a circumstance, given recent history with Oireachtas committees, whereby D Forbes can can be genuinely asked to to attend. Okay, uh, and at, we did at this hear point. that, didn't we? That the Public Accounts Committee is looking at the possibility of trying to compel D Forbes, and is also looking at trying to perhaps extend its remit that would allow it to look at the RTE books. Well, the, 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 no issue with in in terms of uh, them looking to extend their remit, and that that that's all fine. But the Public Accounts Committee broke the law uh, a decade ago. Mm. Uh, in their treatment of a, a the head of an organisation that was in receipt of public money. Yeah, and that's before the and that Supreme is, that Court, is still moment, going through the, the Supreme Court in terms of, of compensation to that individual. So I don't see a situation where they can have somebody uh, a situation where the head of an organisation has come out and said that this is all having an impact on my health and well-being, and that they can expect to get that person for it. And just very briefly, Fiona, and we haven't heard from uh, NK management, and I should just for interest of transparency note that I am also uh, represented by NK Management and we haven't heard from Ryan Tuberty since Friday. Do you expect either of them to come before either of these committees? If that's Malcolm, if they'll, if they'll be invited, I mean, they certainly won't be invited as part of the RTE uh, delegation. I mean, there's a lot of light that they can certainly shed. I mean, we're now looking back at, at Ryan Tuberty's rather spectacularly tone-deaf opening statement where he spoke about, well, this is all an, an RT accounting issue, nothing to do with me, but I don't know what it's all about. Uh, and now we're seeing as the detail comes forward, and we'll get more of it tomorrow with, this, with most of the Grant Thornton report, that there's certainly a lot of detail that he can, that he can seek to explain here. Okay, and we did look for somebody from RTE to come on the programme when we were told nobody was uh, available. Alison, to go, I suppose, to Dee Forbes' statement, mm -hmm. as Fiona says, there was quite a lot in it. And a few of the things that she said really struck me. First of all, she is not taking sole responsibility for this. There were other senior executives. She says she didn't act contrary to any advice. It appears nobody cried foul. Nobody said stop. She says she wasn't treated with fairness, equity or respect mm. in what way some people might uh, wonder and what she also said was that the agreement to pay the additional 75,000 was something that was underwritten but they never expected to become liable for it what does that mindset say to you Alison well I mean you you can't do business like that and you have to in that in that circumstance you have to look at it as a business um, and it's quite an extraordinary thing um, for her for her to say. Um, and you also, I suppose, it's you come back to the bit. Why is everybody so cross? Everybody is so annoyed. People feel deceived, but people are also conscious that it's the taxpayers' money that's being spent. Our money, yours, mine, everyone else. And um, there are just too many sort of unanswered questions, crossed wires. I mean, another part of the statement that I found extraordinary was where Dee Forbes said um, that she, you know, where she said she didn't act at any stage contrary to any advice. So you're saying, as you, as you quoted her, well, who she seems to be raising there, I asked people for advice and nobody sort of, um, nobody came forward telling me not to do it. And this idea that she, that this previous payment to Ryan Tubby, the 120,000 from 2017 to 2019. So this woman has been Director General of RTEs since 2016. 
and extraordinarily, she's already involved in one extraordinary deal, leading the negotiations, and yet cannot tell us um, how this... So that makes it seem she as if... She suggested that she inherited some yeah, contractual obligations. Yes, and that there's oh, this whole other... You know, so why didn't she investigate it further? You know, how would you not be curious? You also talk about, you know, Fiona, I think, mentioned Ryan's statement and that. Like, these people were told in March. RTE were told in March with the report there's something irregular. I, like, for instance, members of the cabinet were told on Tuesday that um, there's something there's something big coming up with RTE this week. So if you like, RTE had weeks to prepare statements, to think. So what I, and even for Ryan Tuberty, if you like, and, I, and I'll be honest, I feel a little bit of sympathy for Ryan Tuberty. I think that he did he did significant things wrong. How could he let that, that figure go out knowing that it was so significantly underrepresented that yet in this day and age, Similarly, I suppose for D Forbes, it's like, you know, it's 24-7. It's a full, you know, so I do parking that so for a minute. So they had time to prepare a they comprehensive account prepare, for five yeah. days and we still don't have And them. we don't. So I, that points to me a little bit as well, doesn't it, about what you're talking about, the attitude, the RT attitude. We've always gotten away with this. There's the absolutely massive institutional arrogance and a sense that you can do anything. So if RTE comes out tomorrow and doesn't have substantial facts in what the board presents... It will be an extraordinary thing. Now, again, they have a history. If you go back over any controversies surrounding the station over years, you'll find frequently this thing we've heard repeatedly from presenters in the last couple of days, no one was available for more tea. They always, nearly always do that during it. And as Jane Souter from um, DCU said, the professor from DCU said this morning, that organisation is being led from the bottom at the moment. And people like our colleagues, our journalistic colleagues and producers and all of that have been doing amazing work and they're still getting the same response. So honestly, tomorrow it's a real case of put up or shut up, you know. And we're hearing, uh, Kieran, that there's going to be a protest from NUJ members, a lot of RTE staff tomorrow at uh, RTE. There seems to be real genuine anger out there. But we did hear from some of the other big earners today. We heard from Murray McCallaghan, we heard from Joe Duffy, we heard from Claire Byrne. Which she was the first presenter to make a statement about what she earned um, first thing on her programme. She re they all reassured people that the facts that had been published were correct and that they hadn't been party to any deals. Does that reassure you? No, not, not, not really. And I'll tell you why. Uh, <clears throat> in, in the, what, what's happened here uh, since, since last Friday, there was shock initially last Friday when we, we found out fortunately there was a deal in the first place. This morning after the uh, statement by the <coughs> Director General, there's actually anger now because we're seeing the circumstances and the actual time. And the timing of what happened here is critical. Remember, this is going through COVID. This, this deal was negotiated before COVID. It was going through COVID. At a time when RTE were saying, we have no money, we're, we're, license fee needs to be resumed, we need to cost, cut costs. When I was leaving two years ago, they wanted to save two million in the newsroom alone. They were furloughing staff. They were cutting back in facilities. They were laying off freelancers, left, right and centre. Yet, despite all that, the DG turns around and she says this morning she did this because the invoices came in from Noel Kelly and from Ryan Tuberty. She does. And, she, and, and Ryan Tuberty's working, working alongside staff who have taken cuts, who have taken the, the, the hard time in the past. And that's why there was anger this morning by a lot of my, a lot of my former colleagues who are, who are saying, you know, at the end of the day, OK, a contract was there. A lot of contracts were torn up during, during COVID, COVID. A lot of contracts were torn up during COVID because people could not perform, could not be there. The, 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 the comments by D here this morning are very specific. The deal was for an exchange, for 75K, in exchange for the vision of three events annually. It became very clear that couldn't be done during COVID. It was, it was obvious long before the, the payments were made, yet the payments went ahead. And that's what's annoying RTE staff. OK, what about the other point that she made in her...
statement that when she was negotiating with Ryan Tuberty, one of the things that she was trying to do was to retain Ryan Tuberty's services as a valid presenter, a valued presenter, I think is what she said. And that's, you know, that informed their negotiations. Where was he going? Where else was he going? This is a good question. I mean, this goes back to the set. That why did this happen? Why did they, why had this money to be found in the first instance? I have to say, I don't blame D Forbes for this at all. This goes back to a culture in RT which started back before the boom in the days of Cahill Gawne as Director General. When the, when the stars at that stage began to, began to come forward, Gayburn included in those days, began to suggest it could go elsewhere. But after the crash, nothing changed. The demands were still there, yet the, the economy of TV changed, not just in Ireland, but around the world. And it became obvious to staff. And they told RT time after time at staff meetings, I was down there, and I was on the links when people were told, they're not going to leave. They're not going to go away. Pay, paying salaries over 300,000 euro was deemed unacceptable, was deemed uh, disgusting by staff in those days. We were told it was going to come down. They're coming down, we're reducing 15%, 20%, 15%. Yet we get hit with this... Uh, torpedo on Friday that, in fact, uh, one presenter salary went up significantly as a result of a oh, deal that was done. I want to come to my politicians, but I just want to go to uh, Colleen Morell, Professor of um, at the School of Communications at DCU. Thank you for joining us. Just to a point, I suppose, we were making there about the, the fees and this, I suppose, pressure it appears to be on RTE to retain talent and to pay the fees that they did. Is that reflective, do you think, of the wider media landscape in Ireland? Was there this attempt by other media organisations to take these presenters and does that justify these salaries? Well, I don't know if there was. I mean, Ireland is certainly a very small media market. Um, in other countries, for example, in the UK, um, there would be people trying to poach people and lots of people have actually recently left the BBC to go to commercial enterprises. So, um, you know, people are um, tempted to go elsewhere when the salary no longer, um, they might deem it less acceptable. But in Ireland, there aren't that many places to go. I mean, perhaps Virgin was going to pay him more. I don't know. I mean, there aren't that many options. But, you know, I mean, Katrina Perry has been poached by the BBC to go to America. There are other organisations that can take... Um, can take major presenters. It's always costly to fund public service broadcasting, no matter the size of your country. It's expensive for Canada with CBC. It's expensive for Australia with the ABC. You know, all these companies are quite similar insofar as they've gone through major um, salary cuts, major job losses and demoralised staff. So do you think the organisations then, when you talk about those other organisations, do you think RTE is getting bang for its buck considering the size of this country? It's, it's very hard to actually to decide that because it, it's what will the market pay. I mean, I think here the problem is more the culture of RTE. They have to be more transparent and there has to be some kind of stronger governance um, so that when these questions come up, members of staff feel that they can talk about it. I mean, you don't just want to wait for till a, a whistleblower brings forward the information. You know, you need to have a transparent culture where people can say, oh, I've noticed this. Okay. And then, you know, governance also means control. You need to have people who oversee payments so that more than one person sees them, so that somebody from the executive committee knows about it or the finance committee or HR, etc., that other people know in order to conduct a good governance 
culture. Okay, let me put this to our panel, uh, to you, Malcolm Byrne, because you will be sitting on the media committee on Wednesday. Um, first, I suppose, to that culture, to that institutional arrogance that Alison talks about, and indeed, um, Professor Burrell talks about too. Do you agree with that? Uh, it is. This is about a much bigger question than just Ryan Tuberty. It's about the question of the culture. Uh, within RT, uh, we still don't have, you know, all the answers. We still don't have uh, the clarity that Kieran and Alison and Fionnone have, have spoken about. Uh, I would certainly hope Dee Forbes does choose to appear before our committee. Uh, she says in her statement she deeply cares about the organisation and the staff who are there. If she does, then I believe it's important uh, that she comes before the committee, that she answers questions. Our objective as a committee is to try to get to the bottom of all of this. I don't think uh, anybody believes at this point. Well, well, and but, I mean, she but, hasn't made the statement, but I don't think anybody uh, believes it. It's true, will. but it's, it's, it's up to her. And I think it's about, you know, her long-term reputation. I mean, she talks about she's proud about what she did in RT. Then she should be prepared to come in and talk uh, about it. We've named seven individuals that we want to appear and before our committee, including Dee Forbes, including... Adrian Lynch, who's now the Acting Director General, including Shuni Rahalig as Chair, who appeared uh, before us only a number of weeks uh, ago. Including legal or financial? Yes, yeah, in, indeed, including uh, as well um, the, uh, the, the, the Head of Commercial within the institution, because we want to get to the bottom to know exactly, you know, how did, you know, who signed off on this and at, at what is, different stages? Is Ryan stages? Tuberty on that list? He, he's, not, he's not on this list. He, we're more than happy in terms of if, if Ryan wants to come uh, and, you know, to answer questions. Will you be inviting him to come? He's not formally invited because he's not compelled to, whereas the others who are employed by RTE uh, will come before the committee. RTE have said that they will. We'll obviously be reading um, their statement tomorrow. But it does come to the test. And it, I know, you know, Alison mentioned and, and you mentioned, and Claire, about where, you know, in the past, RTE come and they say, we can't talk about this and so on. This is going to be a real test for the leadership in RTE, for Shuni Raleigh as the new chair, for Kevin Backhurst as director general. Either they come out and they're completely open and transparent because they owe it not to us uh, as members of the Oireachtas, but they owe it to the taxpayer, to the licence fee payer. I also think it's important at this juncture to help restore uh, confidence in RTE that we know about the deal with Patrick Healty for the Late Late Show. Uh, I think it will be enormously damaging for the Late Late Show brand, for Patrick Healty uh, himself. They would if say, we don't I think they have said, on, there's commercial sensitivities. Uh, yeah, well, well I, I, I think then that they need to talk to Patrick Healty about this because the situation that RTE is in, it's a lot more serious than just throwing out this standard line about commercial sensitivities. Uh, this is, is really an existential crisis for RTE as, as it is at present. It is important that we have quality public sector broadcasting in this country. It's essential to our democracy. The, the ordinary staff on the ground out there know that, um, but they are being damaged by the lack of leadership being shown. So the, okay. the actions over the next 72 hours are going to be crucial. Um, do you, Matt Carthy, fear that we're going to hear phrases like commercial sensitivity, uh, due process, et cetera, et cetera, uh, over the next 48 hours, particularly in front of these committees? So there's a pattern, and you know, I agree that there's a culture within RT. I would actually argue that the culture goes way beyond that through much of the public ser um, service and public state, state bodies. Um, and there's a pattern that certainly I would have come across in the Public Accounts Committee. And remember, um, just to give people an, an idea, the Public Accounts Committee meets every week. Every week there is a different... Um, state body, the government department and the members have no additional support. So basically we're expected to spend the week um, you know, trying to identify questions. What happens is questions are put 
And when questioned, and sometimes we don't know what the answers are. So in this example, in January 2022, I actually was questioning Dee Forbes in the Public Accounts Committee, and I asked her specifically in relation to the top 10 earners. I asked her specifically in relation to this bizarre situation within RTE which is, for all intents and purposes, a monopoly, where they have this intermediaries, and these set of intermediaries, these agents that are negotiating behind closed doors. Um, and we asked the questions. The answers weren't given. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And what happens invariably in these bodies is that when a news eventually breaks and then you bring the organization back, Lo and behold, either the Secretary General or the DG or the, or, or, or the CEO, whatever the case is, has retired. And there's a whole new set of people up and they're saying, this actually happened before our time. And, and do you I fear think that has mo- already happened the, here? The more, most frustrating aspect of this, so I agree with everybody else, what's needed in the first instance is transparency. But unless we get to the point that following the transparency, you actually have accountability in other words, somebody pays a price other than sailing off into the sunset with their pension, with their lump sum payments, then this thing is going to continue again, if not in order. So what is accountability? Because it's a phrase we're going to hear a lot. It's a word we're going to hear a lot of. If somebody what does that actually if, really if, look if, like? If somebody is entrusted, terms. and remember, a DG of RTE is another very highly paid position. But with it also comes a huge amount of responsibility because they are the accounting officer the ultimate arbiter in terms of signing off on the, of the, of the accounts in the same way. And if somebody takes on that job, well-paid job, and if they um, fail to actually uh, um, you know, protect the integrity of the organisation, and if it is found that they, they, they did so, then there has to be a financial penalty applied for that. Okay. And just in relation to, um, um, to, to RTE, because this is, this is crucial, in this instance... It appears to me, Finan was talking about whether or not there were others before this period of time. I actually don't think there were, because I think this particular arrangement transpired precisely because the RTE made a commitment to publish the earnings of, ten, of their top 10 earners. And this was a mechanism designed in order to hide the true facts of the earnings of one of those top earners. And that, to me, you know, goes to the heart of the public trust that has been so badly damaged yeah. over the past week. Just very quickly, uh, Alison, is there an expectation, given the funding issues and given the fact that all new funding is going to be paused, perhaps indefinitely at this point, but the organisation hasn't balanced the books, that there are going to be cuts now? further stringent cuts and potentially redundancies for people who maybe had nothing to do with this in order to... Yeah, well, you see, you know, there is that element of you don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. And I, there is genuine shock amongst government and opposition ranks at, at, at what we've heard over the last couple of days. But I think also, though, any time something like this happens, it's in a way it's a relief to any government because it takes the it distracts from from whatever is the is the work of the day and the longer that that you can keep being asked about that, the best better. So as Seamus Dooley, uh, the, the Irish secretary of the the secretary of the Irish NUJ, has said, don't let these appearances before the media committee and the PAC turn into punishment beatings. Um, and that I'd be very um, concerned to see that happening, that it should stick 
it should stick to the knitting, stick to the issues at hand. Now, there are a whole load of issues, but not try for politicians who are trying to um, square away maybe old, old hurts <laughs> going back over years okay. would All be right. my worry. Okay, look. If RT are transparent, I mean, this is crucial. Mm. If RT in their statement tomorrow are comprehensive and if they come in and their approach when they appear yeah. before Fair the enough. media committee on Wednesday, you know, and they start to reveal details and they answer the questions. But if the approach is that approach of commercial sensitivities, yeah, yeah. you know, nothing to see here, and then they will receive a yeah. punishment beating. All right, look, we're going to uh, come back to that just after this break. Do stay with us. Malcolm Byrne, Matt Carthy, Alison O'Connor, Fiona Sheehan and Kieran Malouli are still with me. Fiona, I want to come to you because we've heard a lot about funding and the begging bowl being out for funding, additional funding to RTE. There was talk that this TV licence reform was on the table. There was going to be this universal broadcasting fee applied to everyone. Where is that at? So there was a... You're effectively going back 15 years here. January 1st, 2008, the last TV licence increased uh, 160 euros three months later. The economy begins to collapse and we've been rolling on ever since. And water charges basically put the fear of God into any government to go near something that would be a, a charge uh, to, to households. So the latest one was government set up the Commission on the Future of the Media, which seemed to be all about RTE, and they came up with the recommendation that you ditch the licence fee, which any Department of Finance uh, official is going to have a, a, a complete canary over. Uh, so that was ruled out straight away. There was another review done. rename it. Yeah, there was another review done, which basically is expected to come back with the idea, just rename it, say it's a generic uh, media fee, and that effectively the government would make up the difference. So if additional funding was needed within the sector, that the government would 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 top it up. Uh, and that seemed to be the direction of travel that, that things were going in. So it wasn't going to be collected by revenue. It wasn't going to be a dramatically inc increased uh, licence fee. It would still be a, a, a media consumption fee and with we additional sort of public funding. An about there was that. an announcement uh, in, uh, pending, actually. It's been on the minister's uh, desk since, since March. Uh, there was a... a a decision expected before the summer. The, a, a form of restructuring in a year. Which you, which you expect. Time, time, and and we've, we've heard all but this sure before. It's, gone, no, it's, it's been sure going. It's, gone. it's been going. This is one of the problems. Dee Forbes has been plagued by this issue. She's been, uh, since the very first day, week she was appointed to the position, she's been telling the staff, the review is coming, the review is coming. But and perhaps, that's why staff perhaps are taking there wasn't the, the reform, um, Matt Carthy, because they were not seeing the reform within RTE that was necessary. They were not seeing the, the cuts that perhaps other broadcasters and other media outlets had to make over the ten last 10 years in order to survive. Yeah, and so, so there's that. And the licence fee is, is unique because it's a universal charge. In other words, everybody pays the same regardless of their income for a service that some people might not use in terms of actually um, watching RTE. So it, is it was always going to be incredibly difficult for, uh, for reforms to be introduced. Um, notwithstanding, I think, the political unanimity that public service broadcasting is incredibly important. Um, but I think that task has been made all the more difficult as a result of what has transpired. And I, I think, as has been said, 
RTE have one chance to get this right now. And if they mess it up this week, then I would suggest that they're probably putting this back for a further decade. Have they been poor at reforming internally? Has that been an issue in that organisation? And is this, Ryan Tuberty, payment sort of symptomatic of that resistance to change? I, I think this debate is around the culture. Uh, and it's, it's odd because... We've seen, and Kieran will know about, you know, resources to program makers being cut. We know those who are in the independent production sector have been told to continue uh, to pare back their budgets. I think this is what is particularly angering that, you know, in certain sections of the organisation, cuts have been made, yet uh, in what is perceived to be an elite, there are these kind of side deals uh, that, that are being done. I think everyone has agreed, and, I, I, and we can't lose this, in a democracy, good quality public sector broadcasting is really important. We've had debates with RTE about whether it should move toward a publisher broadcaster model, not that different, you know, a model to, uh, to hear at Virgin. Um, so we do still need to have that big debate around the future of public sector broadcasting in Ireland uh, and about how, how we support quality content and, and programme creation. But it is going to be very different, difficult. I mean, politically, it's now virtually impossible, no matter what's in the report on Catherine Martin's desk. If RTE don't respond properly to the concerns, that we see real accountability, um, then there will not be any There also has to be a bit okay. of humility here. You have to remember, yeah. people have been imprisoned for not paying their licence yeah. fees. So you, this is well, we had a few late apologies. quite antagonistic to the general public. So yeah, but you yeah. can't... There's an element of two wrongs here in that. Absolutely. You, every, any politician you would met who, who had an interest in this would tell you, like, RT are not playing ball, the cutbacks are, are not happening. And as we now know, there was a real, from the upper echelons of RT, there was a let them eat cake attitude to, the, to what they saw as the minions going around doing, doing the really hard work. However, the licence fee system by UnPost was really inefficient. So, I mean, that was an issue as well. I don't know of any, uh, covering politics, any issue that has been on a cabinet list for as long as the licence fee issue has. So that even if tomorrow RTE does come in and tells everything that we, we need to do, all of those things, okay. it's still going to need funding. It's still going to need, that's, if we want public service broadcasting, it is going to have to be funded. Very, very briefly, Alison, do you think we're going to hear Ryan Tuberty back on our airwaves next week? Next week, right at this moment, next week, I would doubt it. I would doubt it as to the long term. I don't know. Fiona? Not next week. No. Yeah. In the future? Remains to be seen. All right. I, look, I, I, have I to just leave. think he's going to have to come forward and, and he's going to come out mm. and speak. He's got to do his own, his, own, his own TV special on this and explain himself before he makes that decision. By the way, All Patrick right. Keelty asked last night by my colleague, what are you being paid? What's your view on this? No answer. I, I think right. that is okay, and I think you made that. you yeah. made that point, uh, Malcolm Byrne. Well, um, there's always an open house here for you, Ryan Tuberty, if you want to come in and speak to us here mm. on tonight's show. Look, we're going to leave that there for now. My thanks to Alison O'Connor, to Fiona Sheehan, and Kieran Malouli. Malcolm and Matt are going to be staying with me as we take a look at a chaotic weekend in Russia. What is next for Vladimir Putin after the failed coup? It's been just a few days since the biggest threat to Vladimir Putin's leadership came 
and abruptly went. The attempted coup by the Wagner Group shocked the world. And tonight, President Putin responded by addressing the nation, saying the effort was doomed to fail and that the country is, quote-unquote, united. Earlier, European Union leaders reacted to this weekend's crazy events. The most important conclusion is that the war against Ukraine, launched by Putin, and the monster that Putin created with the banner, the monster is biting him now. The monster is acting against his creator. The political system is showing the fragilities, and the military power is cracking well, all this comes as the issue of Ireland's defence and foreign policy were being discussed in Dublin Castle this time. With more on this, I am still joined by Malcolm Byrne and Matt Carthy. And I'm also joined by Donica O'Bacon, Professor of Politics and Government at DCU, and by Independent Senator Tom Clonan. You're both very welcome to the programme. So, Donica, we heard from Putin this evening. We also heard from Yevgeny Prigozhin. I hope I've pronounced that right, the leader of the Wagner Group. What are they saying? Well, Yevgeny Prigozhin is saying that he never intended any harm to Putin. Remarkable, uh, all, that's, all things considered. And Putin is saying that, as you said, that uh, this plot was doomed to failure and that it was the unity of Russian society and the mobilization of people that prevented it from, from getting any worse. And of course, that's a remarkable deviation from the fact. I mean, one of the most remarkable things about this weekend was the lack of any support for Vladimir Putin, visible support. They took Rostov. Rostov-on-Don, it's, it's a city of over a million people without a fight. Um, you know, they moved 800 kilometres in a single day. You, you, with no resistance. With no clearly. resistance. And indeed in Rostov, there was a lot of obvious, visible, palpable support uh, for Yevgeny Prigozhin. But most people in Russia were simply indifferent. They were simply waiting to see who would prevail and then they would acknowledge their new leader. So how close do you think did they come to civil war? Oh, they came very close. I mean, and people were killed. Um, but it, and, and this is why it's all the more remarkable. I mean, what, what exactly happened? Why Prigozhin brought Wagner to, to, to the edge of Moscow, which very few leaders have done throughout history, and then decided that actually I was, it was just a cry for help. It was almost like having a petition, trying to get people's attention. And my, my main objectives were to get rid of the Minister of Defence, which hasn't happened, and to stop Wagner from dissolving, which it also seems isn't really happening. Um, why he stepped away, we don't know. So you've no idea then what, what the motive was or what brought this to an end. We, we, know we did hear that there were these sort of frantic negotiations, but what was the deal that brought this to a close? No, we don't know the detail of it. That's, that's the bottom line. But what's interesting, I think what a key takeaway is from this, is that when we're talking about Ukraine, for example, is that we keep hearing this notion that Vladimir Putin, that he has to be indulged. When he talks about red lines, uh, that you, know, you can't push him to the edge. What we've learned is, is that Vladimir Putin, when, when confronted with overwhelming threat and, 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 and military prowess, backsteps. I mean, he called Yevgeny Prigozhin a, a traitor in the morning, and by evening he had done a deal with him uh, and allowed an amnesty for everybody who had taken part in this rebellion. Is that amnesty, though, do you think, real? Will Wagner survive this? No. Um, Putin this evening has said that they will all be held accountable and that they will face justice. And he used a number of significant terms. He said the leaders. So that's Prigozhin, who I would guess his life expectancy is not what it was yesterday. Um, and so all why of... did he... Oh, sorry, excuse me. Why did he back down then when he okay. would have known... Anybody who knows Putin so, would know so, that he so, would want so, to so exact just, revenge. So just to be clear about this, 
the Russian military are engaged in the field. They're at war uh, in this criminal uh, invasion of, of Ukraine. And while they were at war and losing people in the Ukraine counteroffensive, and they've captured 50 square miles of territory in the last week or so, Prigozhin went right into the Rodina, into the motherland, and actually shot down Russian aircraft with Russian military personnel on board and killed them. Now, for the line and the, the chain of command, that, that is an, an absolutely, you cannot step back from that. You can't walk back from that. Now, we don't know what happened on the outskirts. I mean, you asked the question, how close did they come to civil war? I would say 200 kilometers. We don't know what happened. Um, we will, it, it, the truth will eventually emerge or a version of the truth. But right now, Prigozhin, if he is in Belarus, if he's in Minsk, uh, I think he's in serious trouble. And as, as you say, Donica, uh, Putin has made an example of people who have shown disloyalty in the past, either you know, poisoning them with polonium, you know, a terrible death for Litvinenko, um, and using other means to, to kill his rivals and to kill his enemies, because he has to signal that the balance of fear in Moscow has been restored and that he's in charge. And there is absolutely no way that the Wagner Group will be allowed to, you know, to regroup and, and coalesce or, con or concentrate in Belarus because there are tactical nuclear weapons there now. And there's no way that Putin will allow the Wagner Group with Prigozhin, if he does survive, to have access to those weapons and threaten him again. Yeah, so it's not over. And we heard in that clip, Donica, the monster, and let's face it, Putin created this monster, and that's what this individual is. You know, he's not the good guy that's trying to take down uh, Putin. What, though, does this say about Putin and his authority now in Russia? Oh, it's fundamentally undermined his authority. Uh, I mean, Russians, you know, over this weekend, Russians for the first time were able to think the unthinkable, and that's a Russia without Putin. And if you're a dictator, you rely completely on a monopoly of coercive power. You don't have democratic legitimacy. Once you lose the perception of invulnerability, you're lost. And as, as Tom is suggesting, I mean, every day that Prigozhin lives uh, is, is, is a mockery of Putin's control of Russia, because here's a man who openly defied him and is, is, is still thriving. And yet, you know, I looked at some clips um, today about you know, people sort of in, in Moscow and they seemed almost oblivious to what had happened. Life was continuing on it as usual. I'm wondering what coverage this is getting over there. I mean, is there an awareness that Putin was being threatened and undermined? There is, but there's a, it's remarkable what a state-controlled media can present. Uh, so the argument now by the state-controlled media in Russia is that this demonstrates how Russia is able to absorb any threat, external or internal. And, uh, and it was a masterstroke of Vladimir Putin, the way that he, he brought this to an end. When, of course, again, the reality is, is that he was on the defensive, he didn't have the initiative, and it wasn't even he who called off this. Uh, it was Alexander Lukashenko who intervened to bring it to an end. So, no, his brand as, as a dictator is, is very much weakened. And there's a certain irony there that it happened 16 months of the day when he again addressed the Russian people you know, announcing the full scale of invasion of, of, of Ukraine. And that was all about projecting Russian power, making Russia great again. And here he was 16 months later addressing the Russian people, saying that Russia itself was in jeopardy. But where, briefly, Tom, was this monster created from? And are, are there others? Are there others in the wings who will look perhaps at the lack of resistance to Prigozhin and say, I could perhaps get further? Well, obviously, the, the Wagner Group, they're, they're mercenaries. And they were allowed. I mean, Prigozhin remarkably was was openly critical of of generals Shoigu 
and Gerasimov, but also of the Kremlin itself. And he didn't name Putin, he didn't name Chechen, but it was clear, you know, weeks and months ago, he was openly critical of Vladimir Putin. Um, so look, uh, the, the, the problem here is that for, for Russian soldiers in the front line who are dying in very large numbers, they see a situation where to their rear, their comrades are being, are being killed and not being held to account by their, you know, supreme leader in Vladimir Putin. So this really, I think uh, Putin's authority has been holed beneath the, the, the waterline. I think he's going to struggle. I think his troops are going to struggle. The motivation to fight now is seriously undermined by an attack to the rear, hundreds and hundreds of kilometres back into Russia proper. It's going to make all of the commanders really reassess why they're there. But the most fundamental thing here is that there are millions of Ukrainians suffering while this sideshow goes on. Yeah. And that's the real tragedy here. And we okay. need to be very mindful of what's happening at the Zaporizhia power plant. Uh, you know, desperate measures. Putin may do something rash there and, and create, that's create an, an incident. So okay. we, mustn't, we mustn't forget our primary concern should be for the people of Ukraine. Uh, absolutely. Um, it's against, as was that backdrop um, that the Tanish has set up these consultative forums looking at international security in Ireland's defence. Do you have any issue with them, Matt Carthy? We know there was, I think, the <coughs> third or fourth session today and the, and the Taoiseach was heckled on them. I've attended all of them and I'll attend again tomorrow. And while there are some interesting contributions, some interesting discussions, I wouldn't describe it particularly as a consultative anything. For example, I've listened to three you know, speeches from government ministers. I'm going to hear another two tomorrow. Um, there's been no such formal role for the opposition uh, at all. And I think um, th this is clearly about, in my view, government trying to reshape public opinion as it is, you know, a real genuine public de debate. Because I think um, we have a very positive story to tell. Ireland's neutrality, having an independent foreign policy allows us to play a very constructive and positive role in the world. We have challenges, not least is, of which is the systemic underinvestment in our defence forces that we need to get right. We need to be able to protect and monitor what's going on in our skies and seas, uh, defend ourselves against modern threats. We need to collaborate with others, absolutely, but we, should be, doing all of, all about? we should be doing all of those things from the starting point that Irish neutrality, um, having an independent foreign policy, serve us well. Instead, this is about a trajectory that government have become more open about, which is about abandoning the triple lock and the other protections of our neutrality and okay. moving us closer along to um, an alliances um, okay, just to that, that point, operate within a NATO framework. I suppose, Malcolm, that there is no formal role for the opposition in this. That's a fair point, isn't no, it? No, it's not. I mean, what this is, is it's about having a debate about what should Ireland's defence and security policy be in the 2020s and into the 2030s. Okay, but is there any opposition politician speaking at uh, any of these forums? No, there's not, but Matt is able to attend. And the, the idea behind this event, and as are other politicians, and indeed some of those who would even have, you know, stronger views against, against governments, the fact that we are having debates around defence and security, I think is a very welcome thing. The fact that on programmes like this, we are now having serious discussions uh, around Ireland's relationship with Europe, the rest of the world, how we deal with cybersecurity. I know, you know, that we've been hearing uh, at these sessions from, and, and we'll hear from representatives from Norway, Sweden, Finland, Switzerland, because it offers a particular model uh, of neutrality. There are no predetermined uh, conclusions on so this. So you're not trying to reshape public opinion 
and move us away from our neutrality no, position? No, we need, we need to have a defence and security policy that is suited to the modern age. Part of that is about, uh, you know, recognising the need to investment in defence. And we've seen the okay. biggest single increase in any budget in the defence budget this year. But it's also about realising that in an era of uh, cyber threats, in an era of global instability, we need to have a discussion in Ireland about what is the right okay. defence and security policy for us. That discussion needs to include us. everybody, unfortunately. Uh, uh, but, it, many but it excluded. is. All right, uh, we have to leave it there, unfortunately, but it's something I'm sure we will get back to here on the programme. Our programme is available as a podcast. It's on all major platforms and you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight, TV. A thank you to all my guests who joined me this evening. But from the late team here, it's good night and do take care.